Hello everyone, welcome, welcome to the show. This is the third lecture now in the iBio seminar series, third and last. The first two were an introduction on the larval zebrafish as a model system and some applications in the neuroscience of game control. I, by the way, am Florian Engert. I'm a professor doing neuroscience um, at Harvard with the larval zebrafish um, as a model system. Now, in this third um, lecture, I'll tell you about um, an ongoing research project that I'm very excited about in the larval zebrafish. And it has something to do with learning and memory, with um, operant learning, operant conditioning. And I'm very excited about this because for the last 15 years, it has been a real pain to get larval zebrafish to learn anything, really. And that's a, a pity because you can use it, the animal, as a model system to study um, sensory motor processing. So it is um, ideal and extremely powerful to do circuits neuroscience. But one of the important and ultimate goals of understanding the brain is to understand plasticity, neural plasticity, and to sort of understand concepts of, um, of how we store information and read out information, in short, the question um, around learning and memory. And that's something that the um, larval zebrafish was notoriously bad at, and simply because they don't really learn that well. So we've struggled for the last 15 years to establish um, a robust learning assay. And finally, um, with the help of um, my colleague Alex Scheer and um, two um, spectacular graduate students at the time, Jennifer Lee and Drew Robson, who now have their own lab at the Roland Institute at uh, Harvard. I think they still might take... Um, students or postdocs, those of you out there in the world who might be interested in, 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 in that. So this is really um, their story. And um, one of their major contributions was to um, establish and make robust a learning essay for larval zebrafish. With that, we could use the technology developed in our labs um, of recording neural activity throughout the brain in, a, in, in an awakened behaving animal to really make inroads into questions of what happens in a vertebrate brain while the animal is learning something. The learning assay that Drew and Chen discovered is illustrated in this um, movie. They're actually, this is videos of, of, of a larval zebrafish behaving. And um, what we do is we head fix the fish in agarose, in cello. Those of you who listened to the first two videos will know what I'm talking about. The tail is free so the animal can move. Um, but the head is um, embedded, can't swim away. And um, the assay is very, very simple. We use an infrared laser to heat up the animal, which it doesn't like. It's not noxious. It doesn't burn. It's not um, 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 an, an injury. It's just unpleasantly warm. You can think of it like you walking outside in the summer in a hot city like uh, New York. It's just unpleasantly warm, and you want to get out of the heat. Um, fish want that too. They need to get out of the heat because they evolved in India northern India, Pakistan, where it can, can get really hot, and um, if the water gets too hot, it's not good for them, so they need to develop strategies to get out of the heat. Um, and so here we can um, do this very simply. An infrared laser, they can't see it. The laser covers the whole body. It heats up the temperature by a few degrees, and the fish now, that's the task, needs to do a directed tail flick to um, 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 switch off the heat. This is shown on the left-hand side. Laser comes on, and in this case, the correct direction is to the right. And this fish has a bias. We know this. We tested him once. He um, um, 
routinely flicks has a preferred direction. In this case, it's left. So he's trying to swim left to get out of the heat. It's not working. The rule is you have to um, flick right. And now he's thinking. And now he tried the right and it worked. The laser came out. There's a two-minute interval between trials. So after two minutes, the laser comes on again. And again, he's still stuck on his left side here, trying to um, get out of the heat to switch off that laser. A gap. And now he got it, laser turns off. Two minutes later, this is four minutes into the experiment, um, the third trial. Again, the fish is silent, it's thinking. And now, first, first correct now. The first trial was correct. Fourth trial now, laser comes on again. And um, no problem. Fifth trial, after 10 minutes, almost nonchalant, right? By now it's, it's, it's an old hat. The fish has figured this out. So after 30 of these trials, which is an hour, two minutes each, we turn the rules on the fish. So now suddenly the same animal, the rules have changed. Now it's the um, left side that is correct. The right side is um, incorrect. And one thing I can tell you already that most mammals, including Harvard undergrads, have a true problem with that, right? If you suddenly change the rules on them, then they, they kind of freak out and don't really know what to do with that. So this is for a larval zebra fish that's seven days old and has a really tiny brain. It's sort of um, um, a, a non-trivial task, let me put it like that. So this is the first trial, and we know already he's going to go right. That's what he learned, right? He's still in the mood, and he's probably confident now that this is the right um, um, direction, and that it's not working. So this is an animal now where... A thing you think should work is not working, so you're presumably a, um, a very strong error signal here. Um, also, if you watch this movie, um, one of the rules is it has to be a directed first flick. If he's just flailing wildly, it doesn't count either. So, so far he hasn't managed to uh, turn off the, the laser. And I don't know whether this um, quietude was a sense of frustration, but um, um, after a few trials he figured it out. Second epoch, after two minutes, um, Figured it out, right? Third, done. So a very quick reversal of the rules. So this is something that they indeed can figure out very, very quickly. And that was extremely exciting for us because it's a simple paradigm. They learn it quickly um, and we can do reversals of the rule, rule. And it is importantly happening in a tethered preparation, in a head fixed preparation. So what we can do is we can do um, whole brain imaging during, before, during, and after um, the learning to see um, what is happening inside this animal's brain. So here again is a summary of the, um, the assay. We have um, the heat that comes on. If the action is correct, if he flicks to the left, relief follows. If the action is incorrect, heat stays on. Um, we then, after 30 trials, switch the rules on him and um, where he has to now learn um, the, the different rule. Quantifying this behavior is very, very simple. So in this case, we use machine vision to get the computer to decide whether it's a left or a right flick. But this is a very, very easy problem. My, by now, an eight-year-old daughter can do this effortlessly. Um, you can do it effortlessly. Tell me which way the, the fish flicked. So automating the readout of this is, um, is, is, is very, very simple. So it's robust, it's simple, and most importantly, the fish can do it. This is an average of um, maybe 400 fish. Um, and what you can see, that they always start 
with a um, low probability of doing something correct. Down here, it's 20%. So the, um, the first trial is only in 20% um, cases um, um, correct. But then they very quickly, over trials, on average, learn um, 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 to perform much, much better. And the same thing happens after the reversal. So if we um, um, switch back, if we change the rules on the fish, then it again starts um, at this low level. This is expected. This is an animal that has learned to flick in one direction. So now it will initially um, um, keep doing that, and it has to relearn. This is sort of more interesting. It just tells us that any animal goes into the experiment with a bias. And um, the way we design the experiment is that we probe the animal once to see what the bias is, and then set up the rule such that it goes against its bias. That's why we start already with this low probability. It's because all animals have, have a bias. Left, right is equal. So there's no left-handed or right-handedness across fish. I mean, as a, as a general rule for larval zebrafish, but each individual animal um, starts out already with this bias. But as you can see, it is malleable. It is um, shapeable. Another thing um, we looked at is not just the percent correctness for the first trial. Another thing you can look at is how long is the fish thinking before it makes a choice, going left or right. And for that, you can look at delay between the laser coming on and the actual behavior. And what you see here is the latency to first turn um, is between 15 and 5 seconds. So they wait. They always wait. Um, at least five seconds, sometimes 15 seconds, before they make a decision. And what you can see here, here is the recent performance. So this is a fish, zero re recent performance percent correct was zero. This is a fish that really sucks, right? It doesn't know how to do this at all. Um, on the 100% case in, um, in blue is a fish that's uh, an expert that knows how to do that. And one thing you should remember throughout this um, lecture is the color code. Blue means um, good performance, um, in this case, six out of six correct trials um, in the past. Um, red means um, um, really bad performance. It's a, it's a fish that hasn't learned anything, um, sort of an incompetent fish. Um, zero out of six of the last um, trials were initially in the wrong direction. And in between, we have a color code that goes from red to purple to blue. Is that clear? So this is the, um, um, the transition from um, incompetence to competence. And what you can see in this graph is that the delay goes down with increasing competence and confidence. And this is true for most learning assays in almost all animals, is that a competent animal, confident animal, will choose quickly. And an animal that doesn't really know um, 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 takes a long time um, for a decision. It's in a way a sort of indirect metric of confidence and competence. And the fish have this too. So an incompetent well, a fish that doesn't know and waits up to 15 seconds, and then um, the, um, more, the, the, the good learners, not the good learners, the fish that have acquired the assay competently um, make um, relatively quick decisions, but they still wait for five seconds. And this is really important for us because we can now, we have five seconds to monitor neural activity during this state of contemplation. When the animal is confronted with a problem, namely the heat, presumably with some desire, some drive to get out of the heat. So there is a context now. The animal is motivated. Yes, By definition, it's in a context that is um, somewhat aversive. And um, um, it then follows this with a decision. Now here we have, um, again, the whole group of 
400 fish, um, but we split them into the learners and into the non-learners. In blue um, are the learners, in red are the non-learners. And what you can see is um, those two groups separate relatively cleanly. It's not a, a smooth transition. 80% of the fish learn well, 20% of the fish don't learn. That's quite, quite interesting, I think, and uh, wouldn't you all love to know what's different? brains of those two groups of fishes. What, what's different in the learners um, with respect to the non-learners? And um, just um, hang on. Um, I will um, tell you that at the um, end of the lecture. We believe we know what the difference is, and it's somewhat surprising, and it, is, um, it, it, it really comes with some insight. So this is, um, the, concludes the behavioral part, the learning essay. Um, I will now um, go into the um, neural data. So, as I've shown you already in the previous two lectures, um, we can do whole brain imaging. Again, this is the movie. Most of you have seen it probably already. Um, whole brain activity, more or less single cell resolution um, throughout the whole brain. Um, a movie courtesy of Misha Arens, um, who was a postdoc in my lab and now has his own lab at uh, Geneva Farms. This is something we can do. This was spontaneous activity um, in, a, in a fish that Nisha took, but we can do something similar now in a fish that's undergoing the learning assay. So image throughout those two hours, both blocks, um, where the fish is learning to avoid the heat. What kind of neurons do we find? There's a few first analysis targets that we had that's more like a sanity check. So the fish is avoiding heat, so presumably there should be neurons that correlate with heat. It's also a question, can the fish sense the heat, and how quickly can they sense the heat? And um, here are um, all the neurons that um, um, correlate with the heat, that come on when the heat comes on. And um, what you see is um, the sort of the um, classifiers that we use um, ignore um, the learning state, whether the fish is clicking left or right, whether it's learning, whether it's incompetent, whether it's competent. It's just neurons that correlate with the heat. And, of course, the fish has them. They are distributed throughout the brain. Again, this is the nose here. Down here is the tail. Um, this is a zoom-in of the um, telencephalon, the forebrain, um, where most of the thinking happens. And something that, something that comes, becomes important later is the left and the right tabenula here. This seems to be important for the processing of aversive stimuli in all vertebrates, really, including you guys in the audience. Um, so we have sensory neurons that sense the heat, that process, that can um, 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 relay information about the, the negative, the, the, the aversive stimulus. And uh, maybe even more trivially, we also find neurons that correlate with the output, with the behavior. Those are motor-related neurons, right? The, the, the neurons that make the fish and flick left or that make the fish um, flick right. And um, what we have here is leftward specific neurons that don't um, fire when there's a right turn. And the complementary, this is um, right specific neurons that do not fire when the fish flicks left. What is um, interesting, they and probably expected, it doesn't matter whether the fish swims spontaneously or whether it responds to the heat, they fire indiscriminately, which makes sense. If, they, if their job is to just make the tail flick, it shouldn't really matter what the context is. Here we see the um, pooled of this one neuron, the, the pooled trace, the average trace of this one neuron here, um, for uh, left in green and purple in, in right, so no response for right. And on the right here, we have the 
pooled average trace over all the neurons that, um, um, that, that we've recorded. So these are the motor-related neurons. Again, um, they show up mostly in the hindbrain and also in the forebrain. But this is, again, not surprising. The hindbrain is the structure in all vertebrate brains that controls um, behavior. Again, this is more like a sanity check. This tells us that we, um, we, we, we can do, we can get signals, we can um, measure the um, um, appropriate um, information. This allows us now to come up with a very simple model. Yes. So we start with a um, um, fish that has one bias. Let's say it's a left bias. Um, the um, heat-sensing cells here, whenever the heat comes on, these um, um, would be a strong synapse onto these um, left motor-related neurons. And um, after learning, and we'll have to think about how learning really works, what the correlates are, the same heat-sensing neurons now would weaken their connections to the left and strengthen their connections to the right-moving neurons. All right? So that is the model that there's a, a synapse between the heat, not directly, but in the pathway from heat-sensing to motor output, and the bias, left or right, is simply um, a consequence of the synaptic strengths between this heat-sensing and the motor output neuron. And what, during learning, what, what should happen is just that this bias gets um, shifted. There's a, a weak and strong on this side here, and um, strong and weak on this side. So this is um, um, the learning. Um, here would be the location of the synapse, and um, as you'll see, this model is indeed not just very simple, it's, it's too simple, but I'll get to that. And what we found is um, another group of neurons that told us that this is indeed not such um, a simple um, um, model and it made the whole thing, in fact, um, somewhat more complicated but a lot more exciting. We call them action selection-related neurons and they differ from the motor related neurons in three points. At first glance, if you, if you look at the um, activity traces, and if you also look at the um, um, location, um, it looks very similar to the motor-related neurons. But again, they differ in three important points. The first one, which is kind of obvious, is that these action-selection-related um, um, action neurons do not fire um, when the fish swims spontaneously. They only fire when the heat is on, and this gives you a flavor of intentionality of planning. Yes, intentionality. This is not just spontaneous motion. This is um, motion in response to heat. The second part is, if you look at the temporal development, note that this time scale for um, here is five seconds, and here is one second. So this is a um, relatively broad time scale. These neurons um, start firing already, um, a significant while, a few seconds, before the action actually happens. The other thing you'll see is that the left selective neurons start firing, but also the right selective neurons when the fish ultimately is making a left flick. It's just that the left selective neurons ramp up faster than the right selective neurons. So in a way, what this allows you to do is watch the decision-making process. Do I go left or right um, within this ensemble of action selective neurons. So you can watch the decision-making happening in those two groups of cells, and um, whichever group reaches threshold first gets to dominate um, the decision. So this is interesting, and it's different from the um, um, motor-related neurons. And maybe most importantly, what we also see is that there is residual ongoing activity in these action selection-related neurons that outlasts 
the behavior itself, the tail flick itself, by several seconds. So there is a working memory trace in the brain that tells the circuitry which action happened in the past. This is going to be really important for um, learning theory, right? What needs to happen in the brain for, uh, for learning um, to occur? And the uh, important aspect here is that um, for operant learning, for motor learning in this case, for, for learning a certain action, the reward usually occurs significant, a significant time after the action has occurred. So you make a certain action, like a mouse might push a lever, a fish might flick left, the reward usually arrives a few seconds later. Now, you need to come up with a synaptic neuronal rule that explains the synaptic changes. Yeah? So the action activity and the reward activity somehow need to come together. And one attractive way to bring them together is to say that the action leaves an activity trace. There's still ongoing activity that um, um, can be a good activity target for the reward signal that comes later when the coolness or the sugar or the dopamine or whatever um, um, arrives. This is illustrated um, here now in our not quite so simple model. What we propose is that um, these action selection related neurons um, play an important role and they sit here up um, in the forebrain. They should get input from heat, so they will only fire when the heat is on. Yes, this is a required um, 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 part for, for their activity. And the learning now um, um, we propose happens up here, where the fish starts with a left bias. The uh, um, heat sensing cells drive more the uh, left bias neurons and after learning the switches to a um, preferred driving of the right action selection relative neurons. So here's now um, in more detail how we think what is actually going on. Yes. So that would be the site of synaptic changes and the rule, yes, the, me the mechanism for reward would um, be the following. So initially we have a naive fish that is making the wrong choice. It's always going to the left. Um, occasionally, because of noise in the system, it will make a, a correct response, a rare correct response. And only that rare correct response is followed now by reward, by relief, by coolness, yeah? which is the star here. Right? So now reward happens. And the only other neurons that are active when the reward arrives are the purple neurons, because they have this residual trace now. They're still active because of the action in the past. It just happened five seconds in the past, or four seconds. They are still active here. Yeah. So if we zoom in to this region, it's not just one neuron. It's a group of neurons that are interconnected. And those presumably keep each other active. It's a sort of a, some form of attractive state where these neurons maintain their activity and decay this joint activity in this ensemble of specific neurons, right selective neurons, decays with a certain time constant. According to the trace that you've seen in the previous slide, this is on the order of five seconds. Now this decay of activity, that's about five seconds, allows us to make another very interesting prediction, one that we haven't tested yet, is that, that the delay between the action and the reward doesn't have to be as short as we implemented it in our behavioral paradigms. In our case, the coolness comes directly after the tail flick, as fast as we can image it, it's 100 milliseconds. 
So when these neurons are still very, very active. If that's true, what this would predict is that we can wait up to two or three seconds before we deliver the reward and it should still work. It's something to be tested, but um, um, my hope is that this um, um, will turn out to be true. So there's a sort of a flexible time window in the delay between the delivery of the action and the delivery of the reward. Um, the one thing, the last thing I'm going to talk about is um, what is the nature of the rewarding signal? Right? Is it, what is it that um, 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 elicits the activity of these reward-related neurons? And um, what might be the neurotransmitter and what is the rules um, with which they operate? Um, so first we looked, are there any neurons in the larval fibrofish's brain that have the correct activity signature? So this should be a neuron that um, fires only when reward arrives. And um, ideally, um, there should be neurons that fire when the reward is predicted or when it's not predicted. Separate neurons, right? Because an, an, a surprising reward should carry a lot more um, um, emphasis than a completely expected reward. If the reward is totally expected, then you shouldn't learn anything. You should just keep doing what you're doing. Um, you shouldn't change anything. So we are looking for neurons that uh, not just code for reward, but for the surprising element of the reward, the reward prediction error, if you want. And what we do, we find these reward prediction neurons. This is positive reward prediction. So those neurons fire in a well-trained fish. So the fish um, has learned, yes, sir, and they fire when the heat comes on. In a way, this is an all-clear neuron. This is a neuron that says, I've got this, right? There's heat, but this is not bad. Um, I know what to do. Don't change anything. These would be neurons that um, stabilize stuff. Yes. If the reward, if the fish has not learned, right? If it doesn't know what to do and the um, heat comes on, those neurons fire very little. Yes. This is the activity of these neurons. And they scale depending on the confidence um, of the animal. So they fire strongly when the uh, fish is competent. They don't really fire a lot in an incompetent fish. So those are neurons that only become come online once the fish has learned. So they are... Uh, in a way, um, 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 it's an activity pattern that correlates with learning. These are the more important ones. Those are the no-reward prediction, RP-, minus, reward prediction minus neurons. Um, they fire when um, heat comes on, and the animal knows, um, this is bad news, I don't know what to do. I also like to call them oh-shit neurons. Right? You have a sensory stimulus, and you don't know the answer. That's useful information to the brain because it means you have to do something, you have to change something. So those neurons should mix up the circuitry, should induce change, the RP minus neurons, right? If something bad happens, a bad prediction, so an uncertainty, you don't know what to do. So they fire only in an animal that is incompetent, that keeps making the wrong decisions. When the animal starts making the right decisions, they stop firing. Those are only neurons that are active when there is a problem to be solved. And that's what you need for learning. Only then do you have to learn. And finally, we have um, relief neurons. Those are the neurons that are um, ubiquitously firing whenever there is a decrease in, in heat. Now, um, one thing we found, and that was interesting, that in the habenula, this structure close to the forebrain, um, these oh-shit neurons, yes, the one that say this is a problem, heat is there, they only fire when there's heat. Otherwise, it, the habenula is silent. But um, when heat is there and it is um, a problem, the left habenula fires, those RP minus neurons. The right habenula has neurons where um, when heat is on, but it's all clear. So this really tells you something about the state of the animal, right? 
there is a problem, there is heat, but it can either be um, um, so an aversive stimulus, but in one case, it is not really a problem because I know the strategy by which to solve it. I don't have to learn anything. I just do my thing and it's going to be uh, fine. So um, those yellow and orange and, and red neurons in the right habenula seem to be stabilizing all clear neurons. The left habenula is the same aversive stimulus, but it's active when it's a problem when things need to change. And that's actually a beautiful model of how a neural circuit can um, learn. So um, initially we propose it's just the left habenula goes active whenever there is an aversive stimulus. And what the left habenula does, it injects noise into the motor system. It mixes things up um, until you find a solution and then they stop responding and the right habenula comes on and stabilizes things. And says, this is good now. I, I don't have to change anything anymore. Um, and maybe the most exciting part about the I promised you at the beginning, I'll finish with that um, slide, is what is the difference between learners and non-learners? And one maybe classic interpretation would be that non-learners can't do LTP, synaptic plasticity. They have a genetic deficit that um, um, reduces the amount of synaptic plasticity in LTP, and that's why they can't learn. Yes, if we had looked for that, we would never have found it. Yes, sir. Or a screen for synaptic plasticity in learning and memory would never have revealed it. I think it's, it's quite likely that a genetic screen wouldn't have um, helped at all, and I'll explain this in a minute. What we find, so here is learners versus non-learners. Learners are on the top, non-learners are in the bottom. And what you find, what they are lacking, are apart from the action selection neurons, which is interesting, they are lacking these oh shit neurons. These um, neurons in the left tabenula that code for negative valence. So what we believe um, what these, it's not that these fish are too nervous or too anxious, they, these fish don't care. The, um, the negative valence of the heat is not yet encoded into their baby brains, if you want. The axons that come from the heat-sensing trigeminal, and they ultimately have to arrive at the um, left habenula and the right as well, are simply not there yet. That's our interpretation. So when heat comes on, Non-learners can sense the heat everywhere in the brain, but not yet in the left habenula. So for them, for a, a small group of these fish, heat simply isn't an aversive stimulus. It's hot, but it's not aversive. And the reason why it doesn't get interpreted as an aversive stimulus is because the axons, that's an interpretation, we don't know this yet, haven't either reached the left habenula from the trigeminal, where this heat, heat gets sensed, or the synapses are not strong enough to drive the left habenula. Um, one prediction, which is the case, is that if we wait a couple of days, then all the fish should learn. Yes, there are no, no more non-learners, and that's indeed something we find. So this is our model right now, is um, that there is a distribution in the time point when the trigeminal heat-sensing axons arrive at the left habenula, and where we look at five or six days after fertilization, a percentage of the axons just hasn't reached the left habenula and can't drive it. That's why they, those fish don't learn. If this is a stochastic distribution, there's actually no genetic underlying mechanism for non-learners. And if we looked for genes, we would have been utterly um, um, in, left, um, in left field. Yes, so I think this could be simply a stochastic effect um, of neural development. And... Um, and I think it is um, beyond that. It gives us really a, um, an interesting and plausible hypothesis is how learning works, what's the reinforcing signal, 
and, um, and, and what is the underlying network structure. Um, with that, I will end. Clearly, there's a, a lot more experiments we can do here, and um, um, we are exploring many avenues. One thing that um, we constantly get asked is, um, can't you perturb, right? Can't you go in and do um, perturbation experiments? Um, and um, usually my, my slide, when people ask me, um, um, can't you interfere and, and, and stimulate, is this one. I'll leave it. For, I mean, those of you who know about neuroscience, they, um, they will get it. This is not officially not meant to this channel rhodopsin. Channel rhodopsin is a way how you can stimulate neurons with light. Probably all of you in the audience know this. Um, and it is an immensely powerful tool. Um, the one thing what I would like to caution is don't use it blindly. Don't, don't use it like a knee-jerk reflex. If you, if you have um, trouble deciphering your circuit, simply blindly putting channel dopsin in and, and, and doesn't really help. You have to think before and, and use it as a, as a control experiment. And with that, I'd like to um, thank, um, um, again, the main people who, uh, who did this work. It's Jennifer Lee and Drew Robson, now at the Roland Institute at, um, in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and my very good friend and colleague, Alex Scheer, um, who um, helped tremendously. And of course, all of you, thanks for watching. <laughs>